Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Okay, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics podcast. My name is Mike Lewis. I'm joined by Doug Battle. We are brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. Doug, I'm going to tell you something. This is the height of summer sports. I'm also going to be totally honest and say I'm not watching most of this, but what we've got going on at this moment, Wimbledon is on my TV. We've got Euro 2020. I believe Wales lost and I lost interest. We have the Tour de France happening. We've got Olympic trials, the NBA finals, the NHL finals, and even the Yankees going to Boston and performing poorly against the Red Sox. There's a lot happening. Yeah, this might be a record. I don't know if we've ever had so many sports at once. And we've got the Olympics coming up, not to mention Space Jam coming out and Ted Lasso coming out as well. So just sports content out the wazoo um, this summer. And I got to say, I can't complain. Okay, so I'm going to start out by saying that my... The, perhaps, and look, it's, it, you know, it's, it's a total cliche, right, to say it's a 2021 or 2020 sports moment. But the crash at the Tour de France is a special moment. And look, I saw, I saw one commentator saying it was a gentleman that held the sign up in front of the riders. Most of the reports suggest it's a woman that was holding up the sign. I don't think they know who this person is. There, there's a manhunt or a woman hunt, a person hunt uh, going on in, in France at the moment. There's reports that they're going to sue the individual that held up the sign. And, and look, I, and I know it's old school media that they were putting the sign in, in front of the, the camera on the back of the motorbike. But to me, that just screams fandom, social media. I'm getting this picture for my Instagram look at me, look at me, and wow, that was an impressive crash. Um, Yeah, so first off, like, how many sports could a fan affect the outcome this significantly? I'm trying to think. I mean, that, that's got to be something unique about, <laughs> about uh, cycling and Tour de France. But also, I don't know if I've heard the words Tour de France since Lance Armstrong um, was was found guilty of the whole 
steroid thing, but that must have been uh, significantly impactful on, on the viewership for cycling and, and the sport. So, uh, you know, this could be good for Tour de France to, to get some, uh, some, some headlines, and maybe it was all designed to, to bring some eyes back to cycling. Conspiracy total theory. aside, total <laughs> aside, have you, uh, when you bring up um, Lance Armstrong, have you seen this uh, documentary? It was on Netflix for a while called Icarus. No, but you know, I, I get the feeling that's one. I know we did several episodes on The Last Dance, and I think next lockdown, I mean, Lord <laughs> willing, that doesn't happen, but next lockdown, we just go back and, and pretend that that's like a, a live thing that's happening because I've heard incredible things about Icarus and uh, it, you know that his whole story was always interesting to me because when I was growing up Lance Armstrong was almost like this Greek god he was this this athlete that well well was, just so you just so you know Icarus is not really about Lance Armstrong it it sort of begins from the Lance Armstrong story. And it's a journalist slash cyclist who starts to investigate these blood doping and steroid practices as a follow up to to Lance Armstrong. Gotcha, gotcha. I just like with Lance, it was it was so um, mind blowing, or I guess disappointing to find out that. I mean, it was a lot like Barry Bonds, where, where you know, because I was kind of at an age where these guys were. They weren't human to me, you know. They were like superhuman. These guys were superheroes, and to find out that Superman or Spider Man or these guys that you associate with not just being a spectacular athlete, but also being kind of the good guy, is actually a cheater. You know, is actually has been a fraud. Um, was an amazing phenomenon, and like I said, like I, you know, I felt like for Major League Baseball, it was incredibly. Um, dooming for for their fandom and, and for fans of the sport and i think you know the same could probably be said for cycling well I'll, I'll say this that documentary and maybe i think i think there's a balco documentary too about bonds that was yeah. you know made the rounds a few years ago that icarus documentary and, and, and again i might be actually getting the title a little bit wrong but if memory serves will leave you convinced that to uh Oh God! It was one of these one of these old WCW wrestlers back in the day. But if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. It's one of those documentaries that has really stayed with me in terms of now looking at any sport. And, look, and you mentioned the Last Dance. Look at the basketball players in the 1980s versus the bodies of those playing in 2021. Yeah. That PEDs may truly be just about. They truly be just about everywhere. Yeah. And, uh, you know, of course, there's a lot of factors that could contribute to larger frames or, or more muscular players now um, is, you know, if you take into account their training and all the rest. But you, you start to wonder with the NFL, with the NBA, like, what if we find out LeBron's been doing PEDs this entire time? Or what if we find out Jordan, Michael Jordan, the greatest of all time, was actually cheating or, or a fraud in that way um and you know competitive guys like that especially like jordan or kobe uh, like it's not that hard to imagine them 
yeah, I'm not trying to assault anyone's character, but I'm just saying it's like it's seeing what we've seen in sports. It's, it feels feasible that that's the case. And if it were to ever become public, how damaging is that to these sports leagues and, and, and to the reputation and well, to, you know, the following of them? Because, you know, going back to MLB, when I was a child, I grew up like the best players were Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire. Those were the heroes. And I remember I was a Major League Baseball fan. I watched all the games. I went to as many Braves games as I could because that was the closest team to me. And I remember when all this came out and feeling like this whole thing, you know, you felt like it was fraudulent, like it was fake, like it was these guys are all cheating. These guys aren't heroes. This isn't. And I lost interest. I like I really do think I may have been a baseball fan for life had had there not been that incident. And so I'm, I'm sure there's a whole generation of people that were affected in that way. And, you know, it makes you wonder at some point with surely in football, there's some of that going on and, and probably basketball as well. And, you know, you go across the board and like, you know, these kind of scandals, if they become public, can be brutal for the for the leagues. Well, I'm going to switch up going to switch up our little bit of our yeah, of course. order in terms of some of the topics, uh, because, folks, uh, you know, we, we have a very minor pre-discussion before we launch into things. But when, when, and we had no mention of PEDs, that was a, an organically evolving topic. <laughs> this summer, with the Olympics about to go on in Japan, now you associate PEDs with Major League Baseball, and I think that's absolutely fair. I tend to think of PEDs in relationship to the Olympics in, in track and field, and going mm-hmm. back to... Uh, who was it? Ben Johnson, the Canadian sprinter that was uh, busted for steroids. Mm-hmm. The you know I think the and again it's very tough, right? Because in the in the world of track and field, you kind of get the feeling that well, how do you identify the folks using P- PEDs? Well, they're the ones in the finals of the the races, right? So does it almost become something where you've got to do that stuff to compete? And, and you don't want to cast aspersions on anyone uh, but you know but i believe that the the world record in the women's 100 meters for example i want to say it's something like 10.49 maybe that's florence griffin joiner from back in the day and in general people don't run that close to that right and, and mm-hmm. so there's a lot of now and, and this is way before your time but it, it used to be almost a running joke that the east german uh women's swim team or track team would show up with shoulders that look like you know they were they were on linebackers in the NFL in that era, mm-hmm. and, and so you know how much of this stuff has always been out there. And track and field is probably unique about it, right? In baseball, you still have eye eye hand coordination, but in track and field, it is purely a physical competition, right? It is explosive muscles make you run fast. So to me, the Olympics and and uh, it is a good question: how much of the Olympics that the luster that the Olympics have lost over time is because it's so associated with PEDs. And I, I have no idea on that question. Yeah, I have no idea at all. But, you know, Tokyo Olympics coming up and we've already got some headlines. I know we've we've heard about um, one U.S. athlete's displeasure in the playing of the national anthem, which sounds like an Onion article. Uh, it sounds like satire, but it's actually a, tr- a true story. And so just a reminder that the Olympics are coming and this isn't your, your typical Olympics. This is the 2020 Olympics in 2021. 
<laughs> I get the feeling it's going to be weird because it's already weird to me. Well, okay. And so the story is, of course, making the rounds this weekend of Gwen Berry, who finished third in the hammer throw, uh, turned her back during the playing, turned her back so she didn't have to look at the flag during the playing of the Star Spangled Banner. And uh, according to this article, put a black T-shirt with the words activist athlete on her head. Not to draw um, attention to herself, though. Sure. And this was, of course, met by, and again, it's like, it's almost like this is, and hey, this is a podcast about fandom. Mm-hmm. When we've got numbers, we can go statistical. Very often, we're just sort of in the world of culture. This is a, you know what, Doug? I'm going to say this is just another, this is a very typical cultural st- story at this point. At this point, yes. Uh, five years ago, maybe not so much. <laughs> because it, it, in the immediate aftermath of Gwen Berry turning her back on the national anthem or on the flag, um, the, the article I saw this morning, Texas Congressman Dan Crenshaw said that Barry should be removed from the team while Senator Ted Cruz. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's the standard players, right? It's right ver- the left tribe versus the right tribe. Yeah. The, you know, essentially the Yankees fans versus the Mets fans. Everybody's uh, Senator trying to get Ted some Cruz tweeted, why does points. the left hate America? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's just easy political points for yeah. some of these politicians that chip in on these things. And, you know, for the athlete... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly. Like, I didn't see any quotes from her afterwards as to what she's trying to draw attention to um, specifically or, or what the issue is. But it, it's definitely like uh, for some reason or for lots of reasons, I should say this Olympics, I feel like it's going to be a lot of this. I feel like it's going to be the most politically infused Olympic competition, particularly for, for the United States that we've seen. And that's really saying something because the Olympics kind of has a, a political history. I do too. I, I think you're right, and it's going to be interesting as a as an academic observer. And I should say, if we have the Olympics, <laughs> it, yeah. it's going to be interesting to see. Well, it's going to see, be interesting to see how this whole thing plays out. Yeah, and to see where the political third rails end up flaring. Right. I mean, and, and look. And let's we'll get to just another we'll get to another one that's already popped up a second. I'll let mm-hmm. you take the, mm-hmm. the lead on that one. Uh, but in terms of the background in the Olympics, and you know, is this going to happen? Sounds like it's going to happen. The latest news is that Japan is rapidly ramping up their vaccination rate. They're, they hit their milestone <laughs> one million a day. <laughs> okay, but they have vaccinated just a little more than eight percent. Uh, of the Japanese people as of, uh, you know, yesterday, yeah. uh, 6-27-2021. That blows my uh, mind. The other thing is that, you know, there, I and I don't know the exact details on this, but it sounds like there are no international fans for this Olympics. That it is only going to be local fans, and I've seen something that uh, they're going to limit things to 50% of capacity, up to a maximum of 10,000 fans. So this is going to feel like, I don't know, can we call this almost like the, the hybrid bubble? Yeah, it's it's going to be the, the asterisk Olympics. I think every sport at this point, like 2020 anything, is asterisk. Yeah, 50% capacity. I'm just thinking about the economy. Like, bringing the Olympics is supposed to be such a huge 
boom <laughs> for for a country um and, and particularly the city and yeah that's that's pretty brutal to not have the international element um with, with fans coming in also would imagine it affects particularly for soccer games um uh, or football um the the atmosphere for and you know the feeling for the audience so i'll be curious to see i'm sure viewership will be down relative to other years just like it has been in other sports because there's just kind of something that feels a little bit illegitimate about it a little bit off you know oddly i think where they might really take the hit and this is this even sounds strange in my head before i put it out loud the opening ceremonies i think are going to seem weird with only 10,000 people in, you got to think an 80,000 person, yeah, 100,000 person arena. I didn't even think about that. Are they going to do cardboard cutouts? Yeah, that is, that is going to be bizarre because it, it's normally just such a spectacle of people. If nothing else, it's such a huge event um, and all these different nations packed into one facility. Yeah, that that's going to be interesting. It'll be particularly interesting if... Uh, you know, the U.S. athletes or, or a good portion of them are reluctant or, or uh, you know, to to wear the flag on the, on their jumpsuits or or to, you know, carry a flag or to hear their own national anthem. So the, there's a lot of things about it that are going to be strange. Um, I'm not saying that I expect the majority of athletes to be that way, but it's just, you know, at this point we can only speculate with what we've got. And this week's story um, certainly raise some speculation as to what, what it's going to look like politically. Well, look, I don't know what it's going to look like, right? Because right. I'm going to be honest with you. I have checked out a little bit on the, on the kneeling during the anthem. I mean, I think most people, I, I don't know what, I don't know what to call that, but the, the kneeling during the anthem practice. So what percentage of us athletes are going to kneel during the national anthem on podiums. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would expect to see it in, in, you know, to, for that to be a story. Um, but you know, we don't know, we haven't seen that like this time last year in NBA playoffs, we were seeing all kinds of stuff like that. Um, kind of quiet this year, crickets, not a lot of kneeling, not a lot of storylines as far as, uh, pregame, you know, or players not showing up for games. I remember last year there was an entire game, between two teams um, that got canceled because the teams refused to play because of something that had happened in the country earlier that day. I think oh, the, the Milwaukee, mm -hmm, right? Uh, yep. Yep. So we haven't, you know, it's been crickets lately as far as all that goes. So it's almost like, I feel like the athletes respond to what's going on in the world. Uh, I think that's kind of inherent in, in what they do and how they behave. And right now it's things, you know, I, I guess they haven't felt incited to, to take those kind of steps, but a lot can change. Hopefully nothing changes, you know, as far as you, you don't want something awful to happen, obviously, but in Olympic athletes, this is the 2020 Olympics. I mean, these, these people have been thinking about how they're going to handle their behavior for this last year. And it's been a crazy year. So. See, I think, I think it's almost destined to change, right? Because mm -hmm. this is, this is such a high profile event and there's going to be, and again, this is just my take. I would be surprised if there weren't protests by some of the athletes. And I would guess, and, and, you know, like there's an interesting little aside in here. 
is the United States the only country where the athletes protest the United States? They protest their own country. Um. Right. <laughs> now, and, and so let's say there are some protests throughout the Olympics, and, and then you start to see sort of a feedback effect, and it accelerates. Well, one of the most high-profile teams, teams that is going to the Olympics will be the NBA team. Mm-hmm. And so will the NBA players um, kneel during every playing? I don't know if they play the national anthem before games at the, at the Olympics, yeah. but will they kneel for that? Will they kneel on the podium? Because if, if that's the case, that will, they, there is an opportunity to turn this into a major story. And again, it's an interesting fandom story in terms of what's happening within this you know, maybe there is no mass culture anymore. That yeah. there is just a there's a couple of different sports cultures with long term ramifications. But that being said, Doug, what do you think about the? And I was surprised by some of the names because I, I tend to think usually guys that are on deep playoff runs are not going to play for the Olympics. Yeah, the Olympic team. Yeah. But what do you think about the uh, U.S. men's team? You know, it's a hodgepodge of guys that you think would probably be too old for this or too, you know, wouldn't have the interest at this point in their careers. Um, And guys, young guys that are looking to build their brands and become the guy, which we've talked about so much, passing the guard in the NBA, looking to be the guy, the face of the NBA, because it's wide open right now. Uh, we've, We've talked about this. And so it's no surprise to see guys like Devin Booker and Jason Tatum involved um i think you know some of the more veteran players i think even i mean damian lillard you know he doesn't have rings and he's not really positioned for that at the moment so i guess i i can see you know him coming in and and playing on that team um but there's a few other older players that i, I was surprised to see kevin durant being one who who's coming off a season i mean injuries pretty much kept his team from winning a championship and going out. Do you know there. if Durant has a gold medal yet? Yeah, yeah, he's, he okay. he's got at least one. I think he has two. Um, so it's nothing new for him. It's just the first time being out there where you know LeBron's not the guy. So I guess he's. I don't know. I mean, maybe he just loves playing basketball and is going to be playing anyway. He'll just be. He's either going to be in some gym in Texas or wherever in California, or he's going to be playing on the Olympic stage and would rather do that. I mean, I, I can certainly. I feel like, you know, if I were in that position, I would love to do that. But again, I, I haven't won two gold medals and I'm not at, toward the end of my prime fighting for championships and, and uh, injury riddled career. Um, so, uh, you know, surprising to see guys like him, but there is some leadership. I think the biggest surprise to me was seeing Kevin Love on that team, a position where guys like Zion Williamson could have been could have been placed and. This is something well, where the let's 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 take a pause here because yeah now that you've raised this issue you're going to have to explain the issue because Kevin Love of course became a political topic yeah, so it at least course. has to be at least has to be a, a acknowledged um but but you mentioned some of these other guys that are missing do you have any sense of were they not selected so hmm. as someone my age. The Olympics and pro participation is a different kind of thing because, mm-hmm. you know, I grew up in the era where it was an all amateur team, an all college basketball player right. team. And when the pros were first allowed to play in the Olympics, they all did. It was <laughs> a marketing 
festival. Yeah. It was a branding explosion. You know, get your McDonald's dream key, dream team, you know, you know, big, you know, 32 ounce cups with Jordan and Magic, etc. It was something that everyone wanted to take a part of. And as these things go within a few years, it was like, you know, I'm I'm tired after the season. I don't want to do it. So how much of the the guys that are missing were lack of interest? I think a lot. Uh, I think LeBron James was pretty clear at the podium that he's focusing on his upcoming matchup with, uh, you know, with his new teammates, Looney Tune teammates, and all the rest. It's like like that. That's much more important than. Uh, it's got a promotional campaign representing the country, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, on a national stage or international stage, I should say. So yeah, I get the feeling of that. I think guys like Trey Young and Zion Williamson. I don't think they were selected. I don't think they had the opportunity, and I think. Hmm. You know, I personally think just purely from a basketball perspective that there are guys that deserve to be out there that won't have the opportunity. And I'm not sure if it was a matter of having some veteran leadership on those teams um, or what. But I personally was looking forward to kind of seeing that new generation of NBA all-stars. Just them. Just them. Their team. It's their country now go win or go go for gold um and instead it's you know it's more of a mixture and, and it's a little bit more uh of a microcosm of the league as a whole where it's like you've still got the kevin durant's that are probably the best player in the league best player on the team in this case um but there's this group of guys coming up that are clearly next in line and very very close to playing at that level okay so you mentioned uh kevin love and this this was our I think this came out before the uh, Gwen Berry hammer-throwing incident, so maybe this was the first political, uh, you know, and again, Doug, frankly, I'm fascinated by this stuff, but I'm also tired of it, so it's going to be an exhausting but interesting summer. Yeah. So Rose made some comments on a podcast, Jalen Rose made some comments on a podcast, basically saying that, uh, where is it? Um... That they selected Kevin Love because they didn't want to send an all-black team to the Olympics, calling the decision tokenism. The blowback was immediate, with folks pointing out that the I think the last couple of rosters were all black most, most, teams. Yeah. <laughs> um, Rose had sort of a strange apology. I mean, I, he walked it back, but what did he say that he's? Uh, He's apologizing to the game, I, I think. Yeah. Um, so I mean, in, in, I'm not in in hearkening back to the era where Christian Leitner was selected for the Dream Team ahead of uh, Shaquille O'Neal and Alonzo Morning. Alonzo Mourning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in some ways, Christian Leitner is is one of my favorite all time players. Doug, I, I actually when I'm teaching class, I zero in on. Christian Leitner, just because, you know, he, look, they did a 30 for 30, right? The most hated. Um, so, you know, it's so hated that it becomes kind of tremendous. And in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, I'm so glad they put him on that team. It's like everything he did was controversial. From his haircut and, Duke, yeah. It was it's just a lightning rod for criticism. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think this could be looked at similar to the, to that instance of, Clearly, in retrospect, Shaquille O'Neal and Alonzo Mourning were better NBA players than Christian Leitner, no doubt. Um, I don't know why Kevin Love was selected. Like I said before, I personally 
think that the, there, there seems to be an effort to have some veteran leadership on this team, some guys that have been there and done that. And people forget Kevin Love was a guy that years back, years back on the Olympics, when nobody would play, especially in the qualifying games, Kevin Love was the only all-star that would go out there and he would score 30 points and have 25 rebounds. So he really was the face of U.S. basketball in international play, non-Olympic international play. And then he would be more of a supporting piece on the Olympic teams. But part of me feels like, you know, the relationships through that and, and what he's already given um, to, you know, the program, I don't know what else to call it, the franchise. Um, you know, I think I think he's a veteran player that, that they probably felt like deserved, you know, to get one last run at this. And, and he's given a lot for that team and put him on there. I don't think he's a better basketball player than some of the guys mentioned, DeAndre Ayton or Zion Williamson. And I personally would rather see those guys. But of course, in America, it's it, it can't just be, you know, about his his history with the team or his veteran leadership. It's It's got to be race and it's got to be something divisive. And this is where, you know, keep going back to it, these Olympics. I just feel like it's going to be like this with everything. And part of me wonders from a fandom, this is the interesting part from a fandom perspective is, are we going to have U.S. fans pulling against U.S. players to succeed in the Olympics? And, and that goes both ways. Looking at this girl who, who doesn't want to, you know, um, have the national anthem played? Are we going to have half of America pulling for her to fail, pulling for the Russian to beat her for a gold medal uh, because they don't agree with her politics? And, and on the flip side, someone like Kevin Love, you know, pulling against the the men's team because of their um, alleged racist decision making on, on forming a roster. So let I, me I, let me let me answer that for you, Doug. Yes. Yeah. And like when, I mean, when have we seen U.S. fans pulling against U.S. athletes in the Olympics? Like for me, it's always been I'm pulling for the United States on every single well, event to win as many golds as possible, and it's so fun. And it's the one thing that you can night pretty much anyone that you would be at the yeah. sports bar with watching is going to be pulling for the same person. That's never the case with with American sports. Right. This is the one time, and all of a sudden, it's not. Well, let's you know, let's kind of be realistic about this and kind of very direct about it, you are, you're dead, you're dead right mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, the, the power of putting the USA on the jersey has historically been an amazing thing, right? And, and I'll, I'll give you two examples. One from before you were born, the 1980 US men's hockey team, again, back in the era of, you know, that they're sending the, the amateurs, whereas the Russian, the Russian Red Army team was a, you know, these were all essentially NHL quality all stars in their, you know, in their late twenties and thirties, boys against men kind of thing, and you know, mm -hmm. this country went crazy for that to the point where every international competition they will still locate, I think, Mike Arruzzioni and put him back in front of the the cameras, right? And, and the whole key is that USA is on that jersey. The second example is the women's national soccer team. Women's soccer, and again, you know, these are the kind of comments where you can potentially, you know, I can imagine getting killed for these. I don't know how much interest there is in women's soccer until you make it the national team. Oh, yeah. And when you make it the national team, 
it suddenly becomes they've got as many fans as any team, mm-hmm. right? So the Women's Professional Soccer League struggles to draw. You put them on the national team, and we are all into this. And and, and let's be let's be really honest about it. You put the national, you put the USA on the front of the jersey, and they win, and the brands are built, the brands explode, the marketing is perfect. It's so easy. And, and so, Doug, I, I think as we go into the Olympics, if we do see these kind of protests, you won't see people, I think, outwardly rooting against some of the U.S. athletes. I think what you'll see is some snide comments in terms of, well, look at why the Olympic ratings are so down for mm-hmm. the for the basketball tournament or, or the, the soccer tournament. Mm-hmm. It's because of the it's because of the politics. Now I think I'm getting a little long winded here. You know, for the NBA players, maybe they're not viewing this as a brand building opportunity. Maybe they don't care for some of the folks where this is where they make their money. And I'm thinking like Simone Biles yeah. is obviously yeah. gonna be the going into the games, she's the big star. Um that's where you know, the branding's got to be done right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know. I just, I think even across sports, it's kind of getting to the point where if you're going to the movies, it's like, it seems like people check and see if they agree with the political leanings of each of the actors and, and the director before um, tuning in. And so I, I do feel like it affects ratings. I know people that won't watch the NFL because of the whole kneeling thing or won't watch the NBA because of how, quote unquote, woke it's become. Um, and, and that goes both ways, of course. And, and so, you know, I, it's just an element of entertainment media at this point in time where there's no way to truly be apolitical. I don't think because being apolitical is, is offending being to political. Yeah. Yeah. yeah is, is, is offensive to, you know, certain people, certain political leanings. Yeah. Uh, neutrality is now offensive. <laughs> Correct. Yes. <laughs> okay. So Doug, that brings us to. That brings us to a long winding path to get to the actual sports. And so I know it is your second favorite moment of the sports game, <laughs> your second favorite moment on the sports calendar. And look, I'm with you. This is wild. These NBA playoffs are great. It's, you don't know what's going to, the narrative changes on a day to day basis. Um, yeah. You know, suddenly it's Trey Young's league. Then, well, Giannis was always. No, it's Giannis's turn. Yeah, um, one day it's like Chris, Giannis can't shoot; he'll never get over the hump. And now it's like, yeah, Giannis is probably going to win Finals MVP uh, <laughs> and, and start yeah, a dynasty in Milwaukee. And and the Clippers are LA's team. And no, the Clippers just got lucky, and they're—I don't know. Uh, Chris, Chris Paul is always going to get hurt, always going to not come through in the playoffs. And now all of a sudden, like, Chris Paul is going to make his first finals, and he just hasn't been on the right teams this whole time. Like, the, the narratives have changed by the moment. Um, I know this evening, uh, the day that we're recording this podcast, we've got Suns Clippers Game 5 with the Suns having an opportunity to, to clinch a playoff spot. And so at that point... And uh, just to interject, I think Kawhi Leonard is not even on the trip, right? I believe so. So the the Clippers, things are looking bleak for the LA Clippers, which, by the way, I, I personally think they're not a good basketball team. I don't know how they made it this far. I, I don't think that team is for real in the way that the Suns are. So I'll be shocked if the Clippers end up coming back in well, the series. Patrick Beverly, who is, I've got a real soft spot for him because he 
Because he's a jerk. You know, where, where, he, where he came out of, where he came out of as a high school player. Yeah, yeah. He had like some crazy recruiting stuff with Illinois and all. You know, yeah, back in the day. Yeah. I will admit, I like watching him because he seems uh, he seems separate from the rules of the NBA. I think he is allowed to commit a foul. You know, every two seconds, and <laughs> as long as they're sort of gentle fouls. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he's uh he's like first team all nuisance as far as defenders in the NBA. Um, and and I will say that the games where I really was tuning in for the Clippers were against the Mavericks, and and Patrick Beverly was not available. And the Clippers looked horrible, in my opinion. And so I was like, they're not going to make it out of the series. And next thing you know, they're in the conference finals with a chance to make the NBA finals and and take over Los Angeles and take over the league. And so it's like, wow, you know what? I must have missed something because this team's got more potential than I thought. But I don't like Ty Lue as a coach. I don't like this uh, group of players well, put together, this hodgepodge of guys. And so I think the Suns win the series, but we will see. But assuming the Suns do. Hold on. I want to give you some credit here because I think you got on the Suns bandwagon pretty early. That, you know, after some er- early flirtation with picking the Lakers, the way that series started going, if I'm remembering from just a few weeks ago, you zeroed in on the Suns. So I got to take some credit away from myself well because done. I think yeah. everyone was on this bandwagon <laughs> when they took down the Lakers. Um, I do like the Suns team. I like the way they move. The, I think they're just a balanced, good basketball team, and, and it's not a super team in the sense of, yes, they have several players that could end up being the Hall of Famers, um, but it's not a free agent assembled team that that was made up last offseason like this team's been built over the years um very strategically and they're coached very well and they move the ball well and they're very balanced and they can beat you inside they can beat you outside i like the phoenix suns on the other side it's either gonna be milwaukee or atlanta it's looking more like milwaukee right now but of course that could change and that's happened in in previous series where it's felt like okay the hawks are out of this wait no they're not same with clippers um but either way you're looking at Phoenix versus either Milwaukee or Atlanta. So, you know, potentially Atlanta being the biggest basketball market left at that point, um, at the point of the Clippers being eliminated. And like I said, that's not a given, but to me it is. <laughs> um, and I don't know, I should put some kind of something on the line with that prediction, but um I'm not going to cut my pinky off if if the Clippers win the series or anything. So I don't know. That's just a weird, weird finals. Like Milwaukee versus Phoenix or Atlanta versus Phoenix. It feels like a regular season matchup that that wouldn't reach half capacity in a non-COVID year. And instead, it's it's the NBA finals. And these are the, the best two teams allegedly this year. Yeah, no, no LeBron. Um, no Durant. No Steph Curry. No Kyrie. Okay, and I think this brings us to, you know, we haven't talked much about the, I I like to talk about, I I like to look at TV ratings, but I'm always a little bit hesitant to talk too much about them, right? Because there's always, there's always these caveats, right? Mm -hmm. So when people talk about the NBA ratings, especially last year, the big story was, well, the NBA has gone woke, so no one's watching, Mm -hmm. With the counter argument being, well, it's happening during a presidential election and it's in late August, etc. There's no fans in the crowd, yeah. So how do you tease those things out? Now, um, I I looked this morning that the TV ratings for the uh, NBA playoffs are down about 16% relative to 2019. 
that um, I, they may view that as a disastrous number. I mean, after last year's bloodshed in terms of things being down 40 or 50 or 60 percent of right. times. You could frame that it's, as it's up 30 percent from last year. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, it stabilized a little bit. Right. You know, and again, you can start to, you know, it'd be nice if we had enough data and we could sort of tease out what's driving the effect. Um, obviously that we can sort of do the armchair stuff. Well, LeBron's been gone since the first I'm going to say LeBron is probably my number one, yeah. number one. Steph factor. Curry played, you know, two games in the playoffs, right? In the play in playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, and there's still, I think consumer behavior changed so much during the pandemic. People, for whatever reason, stopped watching sports, even though there was less going on in real life, um, stopped watching the NBA during bubble NBA didn't feel legitimate to a lot of people. And I think some of that consumer behavior just carried over. People continued living their lives a little bit differently from having developed certain tendencies during lockdown. Sorry, I'm coughing. Look, I can imagine that, that you're right, that the, you know, what is the true number in terms of how these habits permanently or indefinitely shifted maybe it's about 10 percent. Mm -hmm. i think the super bowl everything's been off mm -hmm. at least about those kind of numbers of you know i, I think the the nfl was down about 10 to 14 percent. that number six in my head so maybe 16 percent is this is just this is just the new world in terms of and, and again let's be people don't like to say it but the culture has in a lot of ways fractured mm -hmm. maybe it will come back together but if with this fractured culture maybe that's what the expectation has got to be of a 15 percent decline right and again you can add all the other stuff into it of well people are now watching getting their sports on netflix or not i sorry on on twitter they're mm -hmm. not or they're just catching the highlights on on IG, right. they're not watching and it. And that's another trend that's a factor know. as well. I think people consume sports differently now. Um, and I know I, 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 th I will personally, games I would normally watch, I'll just kind of keep an eye on Twitter and, and see what's going on. Uh, but I think you have to, and you know, feel free to, let, let's say at a very conservative level, the culture has gotten weird. So if you even want to sort of just do it in a very kind of gentle way, that things have changed and conservative and liberal America seem to be going their opposite directions. And maybe liberal America got sports in the divorce. Right. And, and so it's a very real possibility that this is that the mass market is, you know, it's not what it used to be. Um, well, I, I, I will think say part this. of it is liberal America got sports in the divorce and yeah. prior to the divorce, there's there's a lot of sports that that lean conservative as far as mm -hmm. people who view it, and so now those people are watching what they view as a liberal product, and maybe it's it's less of a draw for them. I mean, it's just uh, one factor, but but it is something that um, it is very much a real thing at this point in time. Now, I will add to this though that one of the things that's always fascinating to people when you you know the because I think if you look historically and you look at where ratings have gone for some of these sports products and the number of people that were watching, let's say the World Series or the NBA Championship, if you look at 40 years ago versus today, it's kind of disturbing. But the TV deals always go up, mm -hmm. right? There's always more money. Mm -hmm. And I, I did find this note that 
um, that, and this is a comparison between the scripted shows that are on and the, and the sports product that are on that, uh, where, where's the, let me, uh, so, so for the game seven telecast of, sorry about this. I forget which one this is. So for the game seven telecast of, I believe this was for the, for the Hawks versus um, the Sixers, 3.1 million adults between 18 and 49 were watching that game. In comparison, if you look at who watches scripted shows, the average for the top, uh, for the, the 73 scripted shows on regular TV was just 690,000. So one of the things that sports does still have mm -hmm. is that it touches the youth market. And again, that's that's an interesting thing because it tells you something about how sports are viewed. The sports are kind of this very much this entertainment product that is still viewed as cool and interesting to younger people where maybe the weakness is largely with the, with the older folks. Yeah. And, and, you know, on the flip side of that, like how are younger people watching scripted shows now? largely through streaming platforms right and in my age demographic which i'm 25 uh, for those of you who, who don't know me who aren't aware um nobody has cable nobody has cable right. most people have netflix and disney plus and maybe hbo or hulu um there's not a lot of live sports options like there used to be and so there are people who typically would turn on and flip the channels and say oh there's a game on i'm gonna watch that this looks like it's going to be a good game. Um, they no longer do that. They turn on Netflix and they flip through a million shows until they or movies till they find one and they watch that. Um, and, and live sports aren't even an option unless they have either something like YouTube TV or Hulu Plus Live Sports or cable. And I don't I don't know what percentage of people have those products. I think now it's more Netflix driven. It's more streaming service driven. And there's not a, a sports streaming service. Uh, not that's mainstream at least yeah you know back in the day they used to talk a lot about that that live sports were the things that were was was the thing that was holding cable, cable TV together. Mm -hmm. together and what it may be is that live sports are the only thing that is actually keeping the younger demographic remotely interested in live non-streaming i mean I guess everything's streaming in a way at this point but that it is it's not so much that it's holding cable together it's holding table together because live sports are the only thing that's bringing in people under the age of 40 mm -hmm. to seek out programming on NBC or TNT or or whatever the outlet yeah i just uh, my personal opinion is that the hardcore sports fans are always going to find ways to watch their teams, to watch their players. And they have, and they, they have YouTube TV or they still have cable or they have some way of streaming these games. I think the, the real casual fans who, like I said, will be flipping channels and there's nothing on or they can't find a movie they want to watch. And there's a game on, it's the fourth quarter and there's five minutes left and it's tied. We'll say, you know what? I'm going to watch this. Those fans aren't watching anymore because, because they don't even have, they don't pay extra to have a streaming service that provides live sports. Um, and, and so I do think a, a portion of that, you know, 16% could be attributed to that as well. So there's, there's a lot of factors, it's not just LeBron, it's not just politics. Uh, there, there's consumer behavior from the pandemic and consumer behavior 
um, with cord cutting that, that are factors as well, as well as a number of, of others, I'm sure. Yeah, it's, and I think everyone gets this. At some point, the reality is sports is going to have to find a way where people can watch the games on their phones. And that it's got to be an easy, an easy solution for people. I mean, you probably know how to watch games. On yeah, your phone, I do it all the time. But it's got to be an easy solution for where people are going with this. Mm-hmm. The, and, it, and it's it'll be interesting. It's like there's going to be two segments. Destination viewing, where you're watching with people uh, on a big screen. Mm-hmm. or And so it's people are either going to want to watch these games on a 75-inch screen or on a 3-inch or Yeah, or on the nothing in between. public transportation on their phone. Yeah. Okay, Doug, the last item I've got is something that I put under the category of, I really don't know anything. I don't know what's going on in the world. This could be a and lot of things. Is, then. This could be any number clearly, of things. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> but when I was looking into some of the, uh, when I was going down the ratings rabbit hole, and I was pulling in, you know, one thing we almost never talk about is the NHL. It's an interesting matchup with, Tampa Bay versus the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, what a, you know, if, if you had one kind of storied franchise for the NHL, I think it has to be the Montreal Canadiens playing hockey against a heavily favored Tampa Bay is In Tam- interesting. Title town, Tampa Bay. Title town, Tampa Bay. But looking at some of the ratings, so in, this is about par for what I saw. The, Lightning Islanders NHL semifinal game three averaged 1.24 million viewers. Okay, in the same article, and this is Sports Media Watch, the Oklahoma FSU Women's College World Series final averaged 2.08 million viewers on ESPN. I had no idea. I mean, I knew that you know ESPN played the Women's College World Series of softball every year. I had no idea that that property was drawing potentially twice what the NHL playoffs mm-hmm. were drawing. And I have to admit, I'm, I'm completely surprised. I'll, I'll sort of update some of my priors. It, it reminded me of the, the, the fact that last year, I think the only professional league that enjoyed increased ratings uh, during the time of COVID was the WNBA. Mm-hmm. And so it's an interesting, I've been using the word interesting a lot. That's a, definitely an academic crutch piece. <laughs> uh, but it's it's one of those things where you, you get new information and you kind of go, huh, wow. Yeah, I. Um, it, it makes me think about NIL and how, you know, if women's softball is getting more viewership than the NHL, We've always talked about NIL as if it's only going to really benefit these guys who are going to become professional athletes anyway, these Zion Williamson's and Trevor Lawrence's of the world. Um, I don't know. I mean, if, if you've got that kind of viewership for World Series at, at that level of softball, there's probably some money to be made uh, in sponsorships for some of these these young ladies and, and athletes in, in women's sports, but not just women's sports, but any sport that's that's getting this kind of viewership um, at the college level, men's baseball, men or women's soccer. When, I don't know what the viewership's like for those sports, but I'd imagine it, it just seems like these college fan bases 
are so loyal and so devoted that if their team is in a championship game, they watch. Last week, my family, a uh, you know, large part of my family went to the University of Virginia, and they were all tuned in to the lacrosse championships, uh, NCAA championships for lacrosse. I know a lot of Georgia fans um, that were pulling for the dogs to make the, the College World Series and would have been watching um, softball had they been. And, and that you know that Georgia fandom is enormous and so you look oklahoma and fsu two also enormous football schools um they're in a championship game and it seems like anyone who's who associates with those schools is is you know more likely to to tune in and and root on their team and it's showing in ratings and it's it's putting the nhl to shame to be honest it's uh very similar to having usa on the front of your jersey right Mm -hmm. it's just the it's the local equivalent Mm -hmm. um and it makes sense, right? There's definitely a logic to it because as you said, if you went to the university of Georgia or you went to Virginia, you are part of the, I don't know what they say, the dog nation or the cavalier nation. Mm -hmm. seems like everyone has shifted towards the blank, the Illini nation. Georgia was first. Yeah. Okay. Um, That it is kind of an, it's an easy, uh, it's an easy way to get people excited and to, you know, because it, it does that audience shows up, they're all in it together. Mm-hmm. And again, that's sort of a fundamental point about fandom mm-hmm. that in some ways you Georgia fans, I mean, you care mostly about football, but you know what? You're very happy to get together and root for the gymnastics team oh, yeah. or the men's baseball team or your um, hundred meter a sprinter that gets all the attention because he's a, a a white kid. Oh my God, white lightning. Uh, Ma- Matthew Bolding, yeah, is that yeah, what it Bowling, is? Bolding, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I, I got one quick comment, but I'll let you have the second to the last word, Doug. Second to the last word. Uh, we still got Ted Lasso coming up in July. I'm so excited. I follow him on Twitter, and I will say um, excellent use of transmedia which i've had to explain to people that means media across different platforms it does not mean anything uh regarding a, a certain population don't even go yeah there. yeah I, I just have to clarify that because some people are like what what do you mean yeah. by that um, but i took a class in school about this and and so they you know they have the show uh, but then the character has his own twitter account and it pretends to be a real person and then the um the team has its own social media and its own website and they have their own merch where they sell jerseys for the players and, and you can get a Ted Lasso jersey if you want. It's it's a beautiful thing and uh, I'm super stoked. That is my, my soccer fandom is entirely devoted to a fictional team um, and a fictional, fictional coach and one fictional player in particular, Danny Rojas, my favorite. So uh, if you haven't watched that show, highly recommend any sports fan. Honestly, highly recommend anybody. Um, not super family friendly with the language. Uh, you don't notice it though because it's so heartwarming. But it just that's like one little caveat for those of you with children. <laughs> it is, and and we talked a little bit about this. I remember you actually had to tell me that there was profanity in there. Yeah, you didn't because, even And once you notice, there's profanity throughout. It. <laughs> <laughs> completely. Well, yeah. I just have to, I have to and, say and, that because I would hate to recommend that to somebody and then watch it with with a family and, and some children okay. in there. So, and, and so I got two two last words. Yeah, absolutely. I am. I'm so into this show as well that I like to think that I know the character is not real, but I like to think Jason Sudeikis is running the Ted Lasso Twitter account. Yeah, it's probably some intern. What, yeah. <laughs> um, but then my. Total last word is that 
we're doing a lot of stuff on NIL, especially on the blog at fandomanalytics.com. Uh, a lot of coverage of what's going on and also a little bit of free consulting for free consulting in terms of general principles for how student athletes should navigate the NIL process. I think every college is adopting basically the same strategy of going all in Got to you. help their student athletes build their brands. It's an arms race. I don't, I wanted to tell you, Doug, my favorite one, and I'll have a little piece on this in a couple of days up on the blog. Hashtag Nilbraska. That's so lame. That is. <laughs> and whoever came up that, efforts, with that is definitely a dad. Definitely a dad. Yeah. But but how great this is. The, the branding, they're going to help the student athletes with the branding via branded programs. So this is, and again, this is to me, and I think for you as well. We're both big college sports fans. This is the thing to watch because the college college sports is undergoing a fundamental trans, transformation as we speak. NIL is a big part of that. Transfers are a big part of that. The Supreme Court decision to allow uh, schools to buy athletes $10,000 laptops is a big part of that. You know, it, it, it's coming, and we're going to be able to watch that line. All i got to say is my friends who are former college athletes at the University of Georgia and elsewhere have, have got to feel like, uh, man, if I had only been born a little <laughs> bit later, <laughs> missed out on some freebies, some money. Okay, so we'll wrap it there. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week.